for. Um, I've, I've prayed many times for the love and goods, and I'll continue to pray for them. And I know that they will be uh, greatly ministered to by by this church family, uh, greatly comforted by y'all. Um, I think that the last time that I was here, our semester had not started yet. So I want to give you a quick update on things that are going on with RUF at Jacksonville State. We just finished our homecoming week, so that was a uh, that was that was a busy week uh, in particular. Um, we have uh, we we have construction all over campus. You would be really hard pressed to find a building where there wasn't some kind of construction or renovation going on, and um, that has brought its challenges. But at the same time, I think that the this freshman class has been more committed to Jacksonville State and more excited about getting involved and plugged in uh, than, than the one last year. And really from talking to other people from, from uh, uh, freshman classes in the past. So uh, we've gotten a good number of freshmen involved. We're really kind of rebuilding the ministry in a lot of ways. A lot of our, um, uh, a lot of our students who were in the ministry uh, outside of our leadership team uh, they've gotten really busy or they've graduated or they've transferred schools or, or uh, things like that. And so we're really starting over in a lot of senses. And um, we've, But we've got a lot of freshmen involved from all different walks of, of campus life, from fraternities and sororities and honor students and band students and all, all kinds of different things. And uh, those who are, who are believers and really solid and a couple who grew up in, in PCA churches and then others who... Um, they, they really are encountering the gospel for the first time. Uh, so if y'all could just pray for, for that freshman class as we get them uh, plugged in and uh, as we have, uh, we have two freshman Bible studies that we're doing. So as we, as we do those, that they would get more connected and uh, more, more deeply plugged into RUF, not for the sake of our ministry, but uh, for, for their own sake, you know, for, their, for the sake of hearing the gospel and growing in their love, in, in their love for Jesus. Um, we've gotten started to develop really good relationships with the university itself. Uh, this Thursday, we had a, a shrimp boil with, the, uh, with RUF and the SGA. The SGA, the Student Government Association, invited RUF to participate in a shrimp boil with them. So that was a really exciting thing for us to be able to do. We had a lot of students show up. And, you know, if none of those students come to RUF as a result, then that's fine because one of the things that we want to do as a ministry is minister to our students, get them involved, get them plugged in. But we also want to be a positive presence on campus to bless the campus and to show that we love where we are. Uh, that is why we're an on-campus ministry, because we want to be about the school. So uh, there are some, some good, exciting things happening there. Pray that that would, that that would continue. And, and like I said, pray for those freshmen who've, who've gotten involved. So um, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50. This semester, we've been going through a series that we're calling Meals with Jesus, and we're looking at different meals throughout the Gospels that Jesus was, meals that Jesus offered himself, like uh, the, the Last Supper, we talked about that, uh, meals that uh, Jesus performed miracles at, like the, him turning water into wine. 
Uh, and then meals like this where he had interactions with, with sinners and taught people who were at the meals. And so this is one of those meals that we're going to look at uh, today. And y'all have heard me preach more than once. Uh, and I have a pretty straightforward, simple style of preaching. You know, I, I have an opening illustration, I read the passage, I pray, and then I have three points. And hopefully I end on Jesus, right? Um, but this, this passage is a little bit different. And I, it is such a beautiful passage that I don't want to just read it and step outside of it and come up with a few points to, for, for us to observe. I want us to really uh, enter into it. I want us to really um, be in this story to feel how these people at this dinner party are feeling, to see what they're seeing, to wrestle with the things that they're wrestling with. So I'm going to pray and we're slowly going to read through this passage and kind of think about it as, as we go along. So let me, let me pray. Lord Jesus, again, we come before you. We thank you for this, this church, this congregation that you've called together. Um, we also pray, uh, thank you for, um, for your word. That there are so many things as we sang that we can learn about you, um, the sun and the moon and the regular seasons and the consistency of the world around you, to know that you're a faithful God. But even more than that, you reveal yourself to, to us in your word so that we might know you in a saving way, so that we might fall more and more in love with Jesus so that we might draw closer to our triune, loving God, uh, that we might be reconciled to you. I pray that that would happen this morning, that we would see Jesus for who he is, <clears throat> that we would fall more in love with him, that we would consider him worthy of worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Luke seven thirty six through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And the Pharisees, as all of you know, were the religious elite, the religious leaders. They were the good kids. You know, they were in church every Sunday, studying their Bibles. They were hanging out with all the right people. They were doing all the right things. And they hear about this new pastor on the rise. This pastor who is going out, going around throughout the land, preaching great sermons, healing people in miraculous ways, really gathering a following. And so one of them invites him over to his house so they can check him out, so they can get to know him, so that they can introduce themselves uh, to this to this new uh, person in town. And some some um, commentators look at this and they say, well, they were trying to trap Jesus. But I don't know if that's necessarily true in this in this case. It might have been it might have been genuine, just wanting to really see who is this guy. Can we work with him? Is he is he for us or against us? And so they're all sitting around. They're waiting for food to still be served, and and you know they they start making conversation. Maybe they're flexing their theological muscles, you know, and and starting to talk about big theological issues or or maybe different interpretations of various passages of scripture, when all of a sudden they are abruptly interrupted. It says in verse 37, Behold, 
a woman of the city who is a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So a prostitute. Luke is, is using polite terminology, but a prostitute comes into this gathering, stumbles in, not invited. I imagine maybe there was like a servant or somebody running along behind her trying to keep her out of the room. Um, she comes in and instantly the conversation stops and gets completely dead quiet. She did not belong there. She looks around kind of frantically in the room and then she sees Jesus and she goes running across the room, falls at his feet and begins weeping, sobbing loudly. She takes down her hair, which have been, would have been a very extremely scandalous thing to do in those days. It's something you only did at home. She, she runs over. She's crying so hard that the text literally said her tears were, were raining on Jesus' feet. She starts kissing his feet, drying his feet with her hair. She reaches in her bag. She pulls out this, this jar of expensive perfume and she breaks it because that's how you'd have to open it. She pours it all over Jesus' feet and all over the floor and the pillows and all over everything, right? If you have been at a, at a gathering or a party where someone um, belligerently interrupts the middle of it, it is an awkward feeling. You know, you're sitting there and you don't know really what to do. And all of this impolite, messy, and frankly, you know, very inappropriate um, stuff that's going on. What happens? It says this, Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, Simon doesn't really say anything at all. I think that Simon was probably from southern Israel. You know, he's, he's a good southern Pharisee. Because he sat there and it's really awkward. And instead of grabbing her up and like throwing her out or yelling at her or something, he just smiles and he thinks to himself, Oh, my stars, I can't believe that he is letting this happen, right? Um, I thought this was a man of God. I guess I was wrong. But, you know, from the outside, you can't tell that at all. Again, you've been in this situation before. Somebody comes in, they interrupt a meeting, and you just politely stare and you wait and hope for it to end. Because you don't want to seem rude, right? You're not going to uh, yell at him or anything. That's what Simon does. But then Jesus, from the other end of the table, as soon as Simon completes this thought, Jesus looks at him right in the eye. And he says, it says, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
And I just imagine Simon kind of stir around and, and adjust and kind of clear his throat and says, say it, teacher. The awkward situation just gets worse and worse, right? There, everybody's sitting in this room in nervous tension, waiting to see what happens. And Jesus tells a parable. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. And when one couldn't pay, he canceled, or when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. So for easy math, let's say, you know, a denarii is, is one day's worth of wages. Say you make $100 a day, pretty good day. Um, that's $5,000 versus $50,000. Jesus says, which one of them will love him more? Probably after a bit of a pause and a gulp, you know, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. You can tell by Simon's response that he doesn't really know what's going on here, right? He's not really following what Jesus is saying. Uh, Probably the other guests are kind of in the same boat. But Jesus says, you've judged rightly. Now imagine this woman is still there whimpering at Jesus' feet. And everybody's avoiding looking at her, trying to be polite, trying to ignore that she's in the room. But Jesus calls their attention to her. Says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? It's like, yeah, Jesus, we see this woman. Like, that's all we've been able to see for the past five minutes. We wish we couldn't see this woman, but this woman is very obviously here, right? Jesus goes on. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet her feet with her tears, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon kind of shifts around and and blushes. Everyone else is in the room is either looking at the floor in shame and discomfort, or maybe they're looking around at each other in shock and disbelief. Just cannot believe that this is going on right now. Jesus continues, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with this ointment. These were all customary things for a guest to do, for a host to do to the guests of his house. Simon should have done these basic things for everyone. But the guest of honor, Jesus himself, he he neglected to show him the most basic courtesy. He comes in, he doesn't offer to get his coat, you know, he doesn't offer him anything to drink, doesn't tell him where the bathroom is. Simon was the host, but he wasn't acting like one. And this woman, who was not even a guest, was acting like a host. Therefore, Jesus continues, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus pauses for a second. 
You can hear some stifled gasps, you know. The silence hangs in the room for what probably seems like forever. Then Jesus lifts up this sobbing heap of a woman, looks her in the eyes, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, a low murmur, kind of this grumble, breaks out in the room. It says, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who, for, who even forgives sins? Who does this Jesus think that he is? He is some out-of-town preacher who apparently spends all of his time with prostitutes, right? Allows her to fall all over him without stopping her in public, in mixed company. Lets her pour this expensive perfume all over his feet, which she got from being a prostitute, you know, money that she paid for from being a prostitute, he, he then publicly calls out the host, who is being pretty gener- generous by not saying anything, right? In light of this shocking scene for the host not to do anything, that's pretty nice. And then he goes on and pronounces the sins of this prostitute forgiven. He doesn't say something like, God will forgive you if you ask. God will forgive you if you turn your life around. You know, you need to take some, these are the, the steps that you need to take to really show that you, you're repentant of all of that. You know, he doesn't do all of that. Only God can forgive sins like that. And he doesn't stop there. It says, and, and, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see how appalling and strange and awkward this scene would have been? You know, especially if we've heard this before, a lot of us in here have heard this before, we tend to forget the weight of all of this. You know, we read this story and we think it's beautiful and, and we don't feel how, how bizarre all of this is. What happens here? A notorious prostitute from off the streets starts adoring Jesus in an extremely uncomfortable way. You could probably substitute your own notorious female here. Uh, That'll be really easy to do for a college campus. You know who the party girls are, right? Um, and, And Pharisees and rabbis, you know, pastors in those days, they didn't even speak with a woman alone, much less let her wipe, anoint, and kiss their feet. This woman is touching Jesus in highly intimate ways. Maybe that's the only way she knows how to relate with a man, you know, because of her background. And even though Jesus knows how this is perceived, he won't stop her. He doesn't stop her. He doesn't try to defend his reputation. He doesn't try and explain it all to the crowds. You know, He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He recognizes her act for what it is, an authentic act of worship from a grateful heart. 
So notice a, notice a couple of things that Jesus is telling us from this parable that he inserts in the middle of all this interaction. First, love does not earn forgiveness. It would be easy to read this interaction at Simon's house without the parable and think because of this amazing, selfless, public display of affection for Jesus and all this money that she spent on this perfume that Jesus mercifully forgives her sin as a result. But that's not it at all. The parable shows that love comes as a result of forgiveness. It is not the cause of forgiveness, it is the consequence of forgiveness. Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. Whoever is forgiven little, loves little. This woman is acting this way because she knows that she has been forgiven much by Jesus. And we don't know what kind of interaction this woman and Jesus have have maybe had before. Um, maybe, Maybe they've met before, but... She clearly knows that Jesus is full of love and grace and mercy for people like her. And she is showing extravagant appreciation, love, and adoration as a result. Second, I think that Simon kind of misses the point of the parable a little bit. You know, even though Jesus says that he's right, he's on the right track, both servants, you know, the one who owed $5,000 and the one who owed $50,000, it says both servants had no way of repaying their debt. So in that sense, Simon would have been right to say, well, they should both love the money lender, right? Because either way, they weren't going to be able to repay it. They had no way to get out of this debt. It didn't matter if it was $5,000 or $5 million. They were not paying this debt back. Third, Jesus points out to us the way to grow in our love for him is to remember how much we've been forgiven. You know, I know that our sin and failure and shame and rebellion and selfishness, all these things are painful for us to think about. We don't want to dwell on them uh, ourselves, much less let anybody else know, you know, if we can avoid it. But Jesus tells us the way that we can cultivate a love for him is to look at the darkness of our hearts, to really drill down and consider the extent of our rebellion We're so quick to think about our failures, our sin, our rebellion for a second and then either uh, distract ourselves uh, or, or surround ourselves with people who tell us we're okay or maybe look up on the news and we find somebody who's worse than us and that makes us feel a little bit better. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we have to cope with these things. Jesus tells us not to do that. Jesus wants us to sit in this for a while. But he doesn't want us to stay there and wallow. There's plenty of shame and guilt in our hearts to keep us busy wallowing for a while. We could swim uh, swim around in it constantly. But Jesus wants us to consider our sin for this reason. He wants us to see it and appreciate even more what he has done for us. He has taken our great debt, 
which maybe we thought was 50 denarii or $5,000, but once we look at it more closely and consider it more carefully, we realize it's more like 500 denarii, $50,000, maybe even more than that. You know, Jesus covers all of it. No questions asked. Before we ever make a move toward him, simply because of his great love for us. And when we see that love, we can't help but grow in our love for him. As 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. Over time, we can trick ourselves into thinking that we are lovable. Jesus tells us to remember that we're not, and he does it anyway. So finally, consider this. Consider how much do you love Jesus? This is a hard question to put towards our, to ourselves. How much are you like the prostitute, overwhelmed by his goodness, risking social standing, pouring out your riches, giving all of yourself to him in worship? And how much are you like Simon? Neglecting Jesus, not even acknowledging him, much less worshiping him. If you're like me, you're so much more like Simon, so much of the time. Comfortable with Jesus, not really devastated by him, you know, in a, in a good way, devastated in the best way by him and who he is, what he has done for me. Living as though he doesn't even really exist more concerned about what others think of me than about what he thinks of me. Consider how much do you love Jesus? Like one who has been forgiven a lot or one who has been forgiven a little. This is not to guilt you. It's to remind you that even if you are like Simon, that Jesus loves you still. He's calling you, offering forgiveness to you, drawing you away from your complacency and your lovelessness. You know, it's interesting that in this passage, we know the name of the Pharisee. Jesus calls him by name. Why do you you think we know his name? If we look elsewhere in the Gospels, when we see a Pharisee who is named like Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea, it's because they're followers of Jesus. It's because we know that the people reading this would have known who he was. So maybe Simon, we don't see the resolution of this story. Maybe Simon here to this night, his cold, hard heart was transformed when he saw this interaction in his living room. I would imagine he wouldn't be able to walk through his house the same way after this. Maybe Jesus hard questioned to him, how much do you love me? It really broke down the walls of religiosity and self-sufficiency that he had built around himself for years and years. Maybe he saw Jesus as the money lender who forgave his debt that he would never be able to repay back. Maybe he saw Jesus as one worthy of being worshipped in extravagant ways. 
maybe saw Jesus as the only one who could forgive sinners and bring peace to their hearts. Maybe he saw Jesus not only as the teacher, the rabbi, who allowed sinners to wash his feet. Maybe he saw Jesus as the God in the flesh who himself got on his hands and knees with a towel over his shoulder and a bowl full of water and himself washed the feet of unworthy sinners. Jesus, who is willing to pardon the debt we owe him by paying the debt himself, by taking the full penalty of our rebellion in himself on the cross so that we could hear him say, your sins are forgiven, so that he could bring peace to our hearts. Do you see Jesus like that today? Do I see Jesus like that today? May we see Jesus like that every day. Let's pray together. Father, there is nothing that we could ever do. The greatest act of worship, the greatest attempts at selflessness, the, the pouring out all of our riches on you. There's nothing that we could do to earn your forgiveness. Let us remember that. And Lord, not a single one of us in here is, is buttoned up and is good and is acceptable in your sight of our own works. And we forget that so much of the time, just like Simon and the other Pharisees. I pray that you would re- we would recognize that we owe you a great debt. But that debt has been generously forgiven. And like was prayed earlier, not just forgiven and our slate wiped clean and us be come back and have zero in our bank account and zero uh, in, in, the, in the amount that we owe you. But on top of that, you've given us all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that we are rich because of Christ. Let us dwell on this Jesus who loves us and cares for us, who forgives our great debts when we have no ability to repay him. And let us love him more deeply. Let us find our truest and lasting joy in him alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.